give us insight into scripture that you wrote through the pen of your faithful servant Peter um, by the guidance and inspiration of your Holy Spirit you put these words to paper and I pray that we would understand the the context that you wrote them in and the application that they have for us today that we would be true and faithful to the text as we read and teach it and that we would be true and faithful to the text as we hear and respond to it give us ears to hear and ears that literally would receive an application for our hearts and minds in Jesus name amen first Peter chapter 1 and uh, we're going to start in verse 3 and let's read I want to read the whole text we'll be going through verse 12 tonight I'll read the whole text and then we'll break it down and work through it verse by verse blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ according to his great mercy he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable undefiled and unfading kept in heaven for you who by God's power being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time and this you rejoice though now for a little while if necessary you have been grieved by various trials so that the tested genuineness of your faith more precious than gold that though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves but you in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. So I think, I uh, wonder if you've ever thought about time machines. Like, have you ever thought about time travel? I've thought that would be interesting. Uh, several movies have, uh, have portrayed that, not the least of which is the, uh, the, so the, the 80s saga, Back to the Future. Probably most of us grew up, that was our favorite. Um, and, uh, and there's this uh, kids series that we watch a lot of times at home called, uh, I think it's called Superbook. Any parents, y'all watch that, ever see that? I think it's called Superbook, um, where they, these kids time travel through different times in, in Bible history, and they, they go there, and they, they, you know, they're there with Daniel, which I think I've referenced this before, Daniel, and that has got a really cool mullet, which is great, great portrayal of that. I appreciate that. Um, can't tell you enough how much I appreciate that. And, and then... Uh, they, they travel through different times in history. And so uh, there's, there's a point in this, uh, when we get through, into the text tonight, there's a point where it's like the, if we could go back to where the prophets were when they're writing about the coming of Jesus, there's this peering into the future for them and this longing for the future. And I think there's a couple of, in, in, and I want to, this is by way of introduction before we dive into the text. We need to be peering toward the future. And if, if as a church, I feel like we're primed right now after coming out of the, the second half of the study of Daniel and the eschatological emphasis there, which when we use that word, as we will often, that just means the, the look toward the end of things that God is going to do in history. We, so we look forward, we have an anticipation and excitement. And that's important because when I was a kid growing up in a very fundamental setting in the Bible Belt, I was scared to death of the rapture and Jesus coming back and the end times. It freaked me out, man. I 
I've watched these, you know, I've watched these movies and people having to eat rats and scorpions are stinging them and the Soviets are imprisoning people and you needed to get tattooed on your forehead. And it's like, oh, and it was all really confusing. And, and it scared me to the point where I almost like dreaded the idea that Jesus was coming back. I missed the whole point that I like, like, that's a good thing for us as the church. What, whatever that looks like and whatever your eschatology is, the end of things is what we're working towards. So there's this, the prophets are looking forward at what is coming. We should look forward at what's coming. But then we have this really neat opportunity in the text to look back at what the prophets were talking about and to connect the dots. You say, man, this is, a lot of this has happened. Like, the Messiah has come. The gospel is fulfilled. And so we're the recipients of what they dreamed about. So we're going to break this down into um, three, three sections, verses 3 through 5, verse 6 through 9, and verses 10 through 12. Uh, verses 3 through 5 is going to be a focus on our promised inheritance. And then uh, verses 6 through 9, we'll look at the result of that inheritance, which is joy in suffering and tribulation. And then finally, verses 10 through 12, we'll look at the privilege that we have as believers in the revelation that we've received. Um, the main point... An idea of this is this, that we can praise and bless the Lord because of his great blessings now, his future blessings that we await, and we can do this even in the midst of suffering. So we rejoice over what God's done, looking back, and we're thankful, and we, we constantly give God praise and worship for his goodness and grace, but we also rejoice even in the midst of suffering and we're going to look at how we can do that and why we can do that and why we should do that. So, so let's start walking through the text. Verse 3, um, we get into this first point, which is a promised inheritance. Verses 3 through 5, we're going to look at the, the idea that we should praise God because of the certainty of our future. Now, it's real easy to focus on the uncertainty of our future, isn't it? Right now. Gas prices are going to hit $4. Yeah, I heard somebody say that the other day. Yeah, they probably will. That's not very exciting. OSB has gone from $8 a sheet to $36 a sheet. It's going to hit 70 before. Yep, there's uncertainty in our future. What's going to happen with our kids? They're going to require them to teach things in the school that we don't agree with as a family. And we're not in a position to, like, like to, to homeschool. A lot of moms last year during COVID realized, nope, homeschool, not for me. Nope. I believe Jesus walked on water. I believe dead people rose, but... I don't have that kind of faith. <laughs> like, can't get there, you know? Like, like, but we look forward to the future with uncertainty, and, and it can be very destabilizing. But for Peter, the encouragement to, to the church, to, to we as exiles in this world, is well, let's look forward with certainty to the things that we know to be true. Let's look forward with certainty, and let's rejoice. Verse 3, he says that we rejoice because God is blessing us and has blessed us, and so we should bless him and praise him for saving us. He says, because, that's a key word in verse 3, blessed be the Lord, uh, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great mercy, has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. It's because he has given us salvation, we should give thanks. It's by virtue of what Jesus has done that we're saved. This is Memorial Day weekend. Tomorrow we're going to think about we're going to roast hot dogs, and we're going to have a big time. Some people are going to go to the lake. We're going to have fun. Some of us are going to do the Murph workout, which is awesome. We're going to remember those who have paid the ultimate sacrifice. We gather tonight in worship because of the freedom that's been provided for us by those who paid the ultimate price and by the veterans in our congregation, of which we have many, and we're thankful to those men, grateful. The greatest thing that's ever been provided for us was provided for us by Jesus. 
And that's the gospel that he's provided for us. The benefits that we receive come through the work of Jesus. He says, according to his mercy, my favorite definition right now of mercy and Snowbird staff will know this, we talked about it this week, is my favorite definition right now is God's goodness toward those in misery and distress. God's goodness toward those in misery and distress. That's the mercy of God. So because God's given us mercy, think about when you became a Christian. I remember when I got saved, I was in misery and distress. God extended mercy to me. Salvation is that God gives us mercy in our distress, mercy in our misery. There's two foundation, that foundational truths that come out in that verse. The first one is he says that we've been born again. This is, a, this is something that we've all talked about probably at times. Like maybe I've got one friend that this is how he refers to someone's salvation. He says, you know, he's been born again. I'm born again. And I, th- I like that. That's, that's awesome. It's awesome because Jesus used that terminology in John chapter 3 when he's talking to Nicodemus. And he says, what, what do I got to do to be saved? And he says, well, you got to be born again. What is he talking about? He's talking about a new birth, not a physical birth, right? But a spiritual birth. And it's a beautiful picture that the reason Jesus, I think, uses that picture in John 3, because we can understand that. And there's something pure about a little baby, I mean, they do the most um, impure things, you know. I mean, they, they make a wreck of everything. They will excrete things on you that you don't know what, like it's not even identifiable in those first few days, you know. But there's something innocent and beautiful about that little baby. It represents a newness that nothing else represents. I mean, it's spring, you know, today is like spring, wasn't it? It's awesome after the heat wave, you know, we have felt like we were in Uganda this past Tuesday, you know, and, and it felt so good today and looking at the flowers and just taking it all in. There's, there's no new birth like the new birth of a small child who's healthy, got all the fingers and toes. Doctor gives a little swift smack and the baby starts crying and we're like, this is good, right? And so he uses that picture to say when you become a Christian, it's spiritually that that is what's happening to you. You are new, you are pure, you are clean, you are cleansed, you are innocent before the Lord because your sin has been removed. So he he points to the doctrine of new birth. Then he points to the resurrection of Jesus, which this is the other picture that's, that's painted for us as Christians. Think about when we go into baptismal waters, Romans 6, 1 through 11 lays this out. When we go in and we're baptized, and we've had a lot of baptisms lately, we're buried with Christ. So when we're baptized, it's an identifying with Jesus in his death. And then we're raised and we identify with him in his resurrection. This is why I'm not being ugly or facetious or sarcastic or crude humor. This is why we don't sprinkle the heads of babies here. Because we believe baptism is based on the creedal confession of a believer that we are identifying willfully and in submission with the death and burial and resurrection of Jesus. So we're baptized into his death and we're raised with him in resurrection. And so these two pictures that Jesus will give for us in Scripture, new birth and resurrection, are powerful pictures. And so Peter's saying that's the result of the mercy that God gives us. I love it because in Romans 6, in that, that parallel of baptism, Romans 6, 2, he says, uh, the question is asked concerning the relationship the Christian has to sin. And he answers it in verse 11 of Romans 6. He says, through this resurrection, the result and the effect is that we no longer live as someone who is under the power of sin, but we live as someone who is dead to the power of sin, but living under the power of Jesus through his resurrection. Peter says, we should praise and worship God because we've been born again into the resurrection of Jesus and we have a living hope. 
We just sung about it. We've got a living hope. Verse 4, Peter now starts to describe in more detail what our future hope looks like. So you're going to see often in the New Testament and specifically in Peter, this, this right now emphasis like, yeah, we've been saved. There's a past tense and there's a present tense, but we're also looking forward to a future salvation that is yet to come. So in verse 4, he says, to an inheritance. So you think of inheritance, you think we're looking forward. You've got a future inheritance that's awaiting you. It's like the inheritance that you've not yet received that's awaiting you. Consider um, this. I thought about this. What if, um, what if someone wanted to give a portion of the inheritance they had for their son or daughter, give a portion of that to them to enjoy in this life while the parent was still living, and then more that was, that was to come later? That'd be pretty cool, wouldn't it? Like, like if you knew you had, if you, you know, if you knew, well, it would, okay, it would mess you up if you're like 14 or 15 and you knew you were going to get a million bucks when you turned 18. Ain't nobody in this room, all the 18-year-olds are like, now we're talking. I heard Dolly Parton gives every graduate of Gatlinburg-Pittman High School 500 bucks. I'm like, come on, Dolly, just drift them, on, drift them dollar bills on south, you know, like keep it coming. But like, what if you knew when you turn 18 or 20, you're going to get a million bucks? Every, everybody, every grown folk in here that's had to work for a living, would that be good or bad? It'd be bad, Right? Because you know, we, we, we want to teach principles like you don't get something for nothing, like ever. You've got to work for it. Work hard and don't expect anything to be given to you. And inheritance is different. If you've just been loved by the person that's leaving you that inheritance, you receive inheritance. What if someone was going to, what, what, you've got someone that's going to leave a million dollars to this person, a grandson or whatever, or a son or daughter, and they say, you know what I want to do? I want to help you build your house and get established and help you get your business going and they're helping you get to see some of the benefits of that now and then the inheritance comes later. There's this sort of picture of that that there's an aspect of our inheritance that we receive. Now, consider this. Um, characteristics of the believer's inheritance are laid out. So he's going to give us four words that describe our inheritance as Christians. The first one is imperishable. This means it cannot be corrupted. The same word, by the way, is used to describe God in Romans 1.22. God can't be corrupted, 1 Timothy 1.17. And our bodies in the resurrection will be incorruptible, 1 Corinthians 15.22. So imperishable means not able to be corrupted. Then he says it's undefiled. This means that our inheritance will never lose its beauty. and will never become worn or faded. The idea is that it will not tarnish or weaken in value. Same word is used of the sinlessness of Jesus in Hebrews 7, 26. Undefiled. Think of Jesus as being undefiled. Unfading is the next word he uses in verse 4. This means it won't age. It'll last forever. It's eternal. Somebody said, how old will we be in heaven? Well, I don't know. Like, we won't really be any age because that's the whole point of eternity, right? Yeah, but how old will we look? I don't know. Perfect. Whatever. Like, some people, I was preaching. I'll tell you, Carol Ellis reminds me of this often. I was preaching a funeral for a friend of ours and and uh he had he had gone to be with the lord prematurely and, and not prematurely but it seemed too young you know and, and uh and i was talking about being raised in an incorruptible body and there was a couple of ladies there i think had a few drinks before they came in and there was a lot of non-believers there and carol sitting behind one of them she said i know i'm gonna have myself an incorruptible body and she kind of did this wiggle thing like i not you're missing the point that's not the point point is there'll be no sin right we ain't have to deal with sin ain't gonna be no sin not like no achy knees no achy hips no hip replacement 
No knee replacement. Ain't got to get stuff replaced. That's the bottom line. No cut off the eye and make it where you can see cornea, whatever that thing is, LASIK. There ain't no LASIK. Them boys going to go out of business in the new kingdom, right? Ain't gonna, no need for that, right? It's undefiled. It won't, like, there's, it's unfading. And then lastly, he says it's kept. It's kept. Our inheritance is kept. This is important. The word kept is, now this is real important. The word kept is a divine passive in terms of, in terms of the grammatical use of that word, which means God is the one who is reserving the inheritance. Your salvation, your inheritance, my inheritance is kept for us by God. The reason we believe in the doctrine of eternal security is not because we think that a Christian is good enough to endure to the end. It's because we believe the author of our faith is also the perfecter and finisher of our faith according to Scripture. God's the one that keeps our salvation. If he didn't, you're going to mess it up, right? Like, we mess it up. How many days are we frustrated over our own inability to be faithful to what we know God's calling us to? So he keeps it. Verse 5, he promises that by God's power we're being guarded, which means we're going to endure salvation is uh, this inheritance is described in terms of salvation we talk about salvation by the way in in the church we're talking about um being rescued this is tom schreiner's um definition and i like this salvation is being rescued from god's judgment or wrath on the last day that's salvation people are like why you say saved all the time you use the word saved because you are being saved delivered rescued from the wrath of God on the last day. That's a good thing. We like that. While we are still being saved currently, or while we are being saved currently, there's an aspect to our salvation. There's a future focus. And he says it's guarded. And that word guarded is a word that's used of military garrisons. The word is garrison. So the idea is God saves us, gives us this inheritance of salvation and future hope, and then guards and protects it with like this sort of armed resistance against any attack. God is the one protecting. God is the one guarding. But don't miss this point in verse 5. Who by God's faith are being guarded through faith. Everybody say faith. Faith. We are being guarded by God, and somehow our faith is involved in this whole process. But God is the author of our faith. And so if if you drill into that verse, what he's saying is we continue in that faith and grow in a knowledge of who God is, and the faith strengthens as we grow. But we need to understand that our faith is not doing the guarding and protecting. It's God who sustains the faith. The faith is there to help us grow and strengthen uh, and, and be strengthened, and then, and then our knowledge grows and the faith grows, but God is the one guarding that process. So God guards the salvation even as our faith grows through our knowledge of him as it grows. Let's get to verse 6. Second point, first point again. First big idea is that we have a promised inheritance. Number two, because of that promised inheritance, we can have joy in suffering. Joy in suffering. The focus in these verses is that we can praise God even in the midst of suffering. So those first few verses, it's like we praise God because we've been given salvation and an inheritance and all this good stuff. And we got hope. And it's like, oh, but sometimes bad stuff happens. What about then? Well, we praise God then. Some of you have a testimony where in the darkest, most difficult time of your life, you found yourself driven to praise and worship God. Yet though he slay me, I would praise him. Rejoice no matter what, verse 6. Why? Because Jesus is in me and he has a plan for me. He says, in this, we rejoice knowing that we have a sure salvation and a future inheritance. Even though the suffering is painful. 
And then he, he, he begins to explore the details of that suffering in verse 7. He says, we'll be tested. Verse 7, look at this. So that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is, though it is tested by fire, may be found a result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. There's two aspects to the picture. The first aspect is that aspect of the refining of gold. I did a little research, not a lot. I watched one of those shows, one of those gold rush shows recently. I was in a hotel room and we're scanning through it. Me and Moses watched one of those things where they're, you know, getting the gold out of the ground. They got all this big equipment and they're mining the gold out. And it's a huge process. Well, in the olden days, there was a job, there was a vocation called a refiner. There was a gold refiner. It was a, it was a very hazardous task because to refine that gold, you had to heat it to close to 2,000 degrees and then skim the, 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 like the impurities off of it as they rose to the top. You'd skim them off as a process for that gold to be brought in its purest, purest form. There was a process of heating it to refine it, to purify it. And he's using that as a picture of the Christian's life. And he's saying, like suffering and tribulation and trial and difficulty, that we might be tempted to go, God, take this away from me. It might be that God's using that trial and that struggle to refine your faith and make it more pure. It's a very visual picture. The second aspect of the picture, he says the more extreme the testing is, the better. For example, imagine a car or truck that is tested to 100,000 miles. So you see, we read Edmund's report. We tested, we did a recent test on minivans in the 2021 Odyssey and Sierra, Sienna, whatever it is, and this, and I'm like, 2000, who buys it? I didn't buy, I buy, or, earliest I'm looking at is 2011 when I go car shopping, you know what I'm saying? So now I'm like, oh, I'll go back and read the 2011 reports. Okay, yeah, it says here, oh, it says in 2011, this was the best minivan. They tested them to 100,000 miles. Dude, I buy them at 200,000, amen? Like, I buy, I'm the last guy that's gonna own that car. When I'm done with it, she's, she's junk, all right? So like, so I need to know what goes, so I found this guy on YouTube, and he's like, top 10 minivan, uh, top 10 years and models of minivans that go 400,000 plus. I'm like, that's my study right there. Let's see what my man's got to say, right? Like, I want to talk about what can endure, what can go through the most, you know, like what's going to be, I saw, uh, some of y'all saw this video of the Tesla guy, uh, Elon Musk, and he's got, he rolled out the new Tesla pickup truck, and they're going to show you that the glass is unbreakable. And the man, I mean, have y'all seen this video? All these people are, I mean, cameras are rolling, and the guy's got the brick, and he's like, go ahead, throw it at the window. The guy's like, I mean, that, that dude must have, must have done some pitching back in the day because he, he threw that brick and smashed that window. And, and Elon's like, uh, okay, all right, got a little work to do. Let's try the back window. You threw it too hard. I'm like, oh, now you've got limitations on your unbreakable glass. <laughs> you better not sell that truck to women with toddlers, okay? <laughs> like, so in other words, you're telling me this truck is not childproof. That's what I, that's what I got out of it. So the kid gets the, the guy gets the brick, throws it, smashes the back window, right? And I'm like, okay, did not pass the test. No one with a teenager is going to buy that truck, right? Like, okay, so the testing proves the effic okay, big word, the testing proves the efficacy of the, of the product. Efficacy means potency, ability to do what it's promised to be able to do. Can it deliver on the promise? Testing for the Christian, trial for the Christian, proves that God will deliver on his promises to grow us in the darkest, most difficult struggles of life. That's hard to hear, but it's hopeful. 
That means when your loved one dies from COVID or cancer or there's a loss, of, a miscarriage of a child or we, we, we have to attend the funeral, someone we're like totally unexpected or you lose your job or your marriage falls apart. Like, okay, God's going through this with me and what's going to happen is it's going to be refined and my faith is going to be more pure. And when I come out the other side, what happens when we go through these things? We're more focused. On the day that you're wrestling through these things, is it not true? Your hardest struggles in life, you forget about things that are peripheral and that don't really matter. You quit caring about your hobbies so much. You don't care what people think about the way you dress so much. There's a reward that awaits believers in the final day. Jesus will reward particularly our faithfulness in the midst of suffering in this life. Think about this. There's a reward associated with suffering and how we endure. Five observations from this portion of the text on suffering that I think is helpful. These five observations from verses 6 and 7 give us some clarity on suffering. Number one, when compared to eternity, the sufferings of this life are brief in duration. He uses the phrase a little while. Compared to eternity, whatever suffering you're going to endure in this life, it's brief. It's brief. Remind yourself of that. It's brief. This is, short. This is one day at a time, one moment at a time. Live moment by moment, to get through the most difficult situations. It's but for a little while. Number two, the sufferings of this life come in various forms. He says there are, quote, all kinds. Number three, there's a certain necessity to the suffering. He says if necessary. Number four, there's a proving of our faith in suffering because we don't suffer like the world. Number five, suffering will ultimately result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ returns. So there's an end to it, but also in that end, a great result that comes from it. Verse 8, we rejoice in what we cannot see. The believers that Peter was writing to were like us. They had never actually seen Jesus with their own eyes. They're looking back at the, the, the story, but they never seen him. They had a strong faith in what they had not seen. Even in difficult times, which can and often include persecution and suffering. We can always rejoice knowing that Jesus has provided salvation for us, and one day we will see him and behold him. Verse 9, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Salvation is the result of our faith. Christians get to live with true love and joy because of the hope we have in a future salvation. We already discussed the current benefits of our salvation, but we can live with incredible peace and joy knowing that our eternal future holds something greater than we can even imagine. In fact, Paul writes to the Colossians and says, I hasn't seen, ear hasn't heard, your mind can't comprehend what God has in store for you. Dark, some of you are going to have a dark day this week. Some of you are having a dark day today. Some of you, if I could just use, I'm, I'm going to use a crude word, and I'm probably going to get an email for this, but I, some of you right now, you feel like life just sucks. I hate it. I'm miserable. And you're fighting for your joy. You need to understand this, that if your faith is real, Christ is the author of your faith, and this is a refining process, and you will be stronger, and there will be a day when you look back and you rejoice even in the suffering. Get your head up. Don't have that mentality. Don't use that language and terminology. Be positive. Look forward. Rejoice with a joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. Knowing that God is going to bring you through this as a refiner brings gold through the fire. 
And number three, verse 10, we see the privilege of revelation. The privilege of revelation in verses 10 through 12. When we use the term revelation, we're talking about that what God reveals to us through his word and through the fulfillment of his word. Verse 10, he says, concerning salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully. So prophets in the Old Testament, let me give you some thoughts and observations on what, what he's saying is essentially we're more privileged than the prophets of old. So you think about what those guys did. It was awesome what they did. It was incredible what they did. But we, in one sense, are the beneficiaries of what they did. Prophets in the Old Testament were speaking and preaching and writing under the, under the direction and inspiration of the Holy Spirit. They hoped that the things of which they wrote would be fulfilled in their days. The central work of the Holy Spirit is the gospel and particularly the death and resurrection of Jesus. And so the prophets were writing in what Scripture hints at the preexistence of Jesus in our text. In other words, he existed before he came into the world. He's the image of the invisible God. We look before Jesus was ever a babe in a manger, the prophets were writing for the benefit of those who would be the eyewitnesses to the resurrected Lord and for even us in the 21st century who would look back at the completed work of Jesus. We can go all the way back past that and know that the prophets were telling us this is going to happen. It's a revelation that they made that we've now received in full. And the central work And their message is the gospel, the future work that Jesus would fulfill. Peter is saying that the work of the Old Testament prophet was not ultimately directed to themselves or their own generation, but to the readers of Peter's letters. In other words, Schreiner explains, the Old Testament prophecies not only apply to Peter's readers, but were intended for them. So in other words, he's saying, it's not just that Peter's writing to these guys and saying, hey, remember the Old Testament prophets? Think about this. I bet they never thought this applies to you guys. No, no, no. He's saying they are specifically for you. So when you read the book of Isaiah, was it written by Isaiah 100 years before the exile of the, of, the, of the southern kingdom of Judah with a specific context, context, yes. But we can read it and know that an all-knowing, pre-existent Christ who knew what he was going to do in the future was writing those words for us. It's a letter from God from back in time that we're the recipients of. Isn't that awesome? That's, did you hang out here for a second? That's a pretty big deal. God was writing you some stuff before you existed and before Jesus came into the world. Pre-existent Christ. I got a message for you guys. Then he comes and fulfills the message and we can look, it's amazing. It's incredible. The main point here is that we are so blessed to live in the time when the predictions of the prophets have come to pass. Jesus said, blessed are your eyes because they do see and your ears because they do hear. We're We're truly, I tell you, many prophets And righteous people long to see the things that you see but didn't see them. To hear the things that you hear but didn't hear them. Sanchez says this, the point is the prophets weren't just writing down their best guesses or astrological calculations regarding the timing, the timing of them, the timing of Christ's arrival or the nature of his life and work. But under the inspiration of the spirit of Jesus, the prophets were authoritative and true. So the prophets were writing under the leadership of the Holy Spirit the Spirit of Christ, 
who would then be the spirit in Christ that he would leave with us, that dwells in us, and that enables us to interpret the scriptures, the revelations God, given, God has given us through his word that he wrote before Jesus ever existed in the world as a man. God's spirit is running through history, tying us even to the prophecies that he wrote. So a couple final thoughts concerning the Old Testament prophets and their writings because in verse 11 it says, inquiring what persons or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. Number one, they knew they were writing about a future Messiah. Concerning the prophets, concerning the prophets, they knew they were writing a, about a future Messiah. They gave their lives to write about and preach about the coming Messiah who would bring salvation to all people. Number two, in this sense, the Old Testament prophets were serving the future followers of Jesus. For that, we owe them an incredible debt of thanks and gratitude. Again, I swear, tomorrow, this is a great time to think about this. Tomorrow, we should reflect. Everybody here should reflect on a, a, an unnamed person that we'll never know the name of who gave his life in a conflict 150 years ago so we could have freedom. They were giving their lives not just for freedom of that day, but for the future freedom of their posterity. There's a future aspect to that. And number three, the Old Testament prophets hoped that they would live to see these things come to pass. But Christians reading Peter's letter have come to see them pass. It's amazing. And last, in verse 12, it was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves but you and the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. Angels dwell in the presence of the Lord in faithfulness as his messengers and warriors. They're so intrigued by the gospel. To them, it is a great mystery. As such, we are recipients of something that even the angels long to understand. One commentator said, the angels do not know what it's like to experience the relief, the joy, the liberation, and the wonder of being a saved sinner. But you do. What a pretty, what a pretty and Let's see, what a pretty religious position to begin with. What inexpressible joy. It's beautiful. The joy that can be expressed when we realize that we've received a salvation that the angels look at as a mystery. They're so intrigued by it. And there's an aspect to our relationship with God, even as broken sinners, that has a depth through grace and, and mercy and, and the kindness of the Lord that even the angels desire to look into. It's the beauty and depth of the gospel. Angels are fascinating in Scripture. I used to, when I was a little kid, I thought, you think of angels as a little chubby, you know, playing the heart, Charmin, bath, you know, the toilet paper commercial. Somebody at PR over there in their marketing department should have been a, surely there's a Christian, and it must not have been. Like, no, 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 y'all got this wrong. <laughs> like, that's not, y'all got it wrong. That's not, that's not biblical angels. Somebody at Charmin needs to get their theology intact. Okay, like, there ain't no little chubby babies floating around playing harps and bouncing on clouds, right? These, they, in Scripture, angels do a couple of things. The main things are, in terms of their tasks, they're God's messengers, and they deliver messages, and they're God's warriors. He's the Lord of hosts or armies, and they go to war. But ultimately, what they do is they continually, day and night, worship the one who is worthy of praise. And all they've ever done is worship him. And they're blown away. They don't question it. They're blown away by his love for sinners that he would reach into the brokenness of humanity and provide a way for, for those of us who haven't worshipped him like that, who've been rebellious and hard and ugly. They long to look into those things. 
Because we have been given an incredible gift according to the mercy of the Lord, we should rejoice no matter what happens in this life. We know that everything in this life is preparing us for a greater life and a greater and future reality. The great mystery of the gospel has been revealed to those of us who have received Christ. God has chosen to save us, and for that we should rejoice and live our lives in faithfulness to him. We have a promised inheritance, we have joy in suffering, and we have the privilege of revelation. So a lot of talk about privilege these days. We have been given a privilege that even angels and the prophets of old long to experience in the way we've, we've experienced it. We know the plan of the gospel in fulfillment. We should rejoice in that, worship God because of it. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that tonight you give us a clear and deep understanding of your revelation through your word. I thank you for Peter's letter. I thank you for the gospel. I thank you that before man could fall into rebellion and and even the subsequent contrition that would come, Lord, and that we see as a pattern in the lives of humans. We sin, we fail, we mess up, but through a contrite heart and a broken spirit and an attitude and posture of repentance, you restore, you restore, you restore, you restore, you restore. You constantly are faithful to us. And God, I pray that uh, tonight we would reflect on Peter's words and we would rejoice because of your great mercy that has caused us to be born again through your resurrection into a living hope and that we would rejoice even in the midst of suffering knowing that through that suffering you will be served in our lives. You will refine our faith and grow us stronger and that we are privileged to know the outcome of what the prophets long to see and what is mysterious to the angels, the gospel of Jesus Christ that saves sinners. Thank you, Jesus. We worship you now through song. In your name, amen.